Everybody doing okay? What's up, family? Um, today, we're kind of switching things around. Our hope is uh, that as we dive into the Word and sink our teeth into uh, biblical truth, we would then be able to spend the bulk of the service on the back end uh, responding in worship. And so uh, we're just going to dive into Mark um, chapter 4, starting in verse 35. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, would you open it? Turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Brenda, what's up? Let's go. All right. Verse 35. On that day, okay, uh, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them, took him with them in the boat just as he was. So he ain't packing no stuff up. He just, they're taking him from teaching straight to the next thing. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, all right, for you land lovers, that's the back of the boat, all right, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you no, still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? May God bless the reading of his word. Go back to verse 35, on that day. Now what we can de uh, deduce from this is at the very least, all of chapter 4 has happened on the same day, potentially even more. He has been healing and teaching and doing ministry, right? So you can flip back and hear the parables. He's standing, as we've talked in the last couple of weeks, on a boat and using the boat as a buffer zone between him and a crowd that would crush him. And on the water, the natural acoustics of the water and the mountain on the side allowed him to reach what, what we would estimate is probably crowds of thousands standing to hear him listen. And he's teaching them in parables. He's healing. He's speaking about the kingdom of God. And here's the thing that I, I just want to point out. It's exhausting. Like Jesus is worn out. He is fully God, but he is fully man. And his, his body, his mind is tired. And, and, and I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to teach hard-hearted, difficult people, people can be exhausting. Right? If you don't believe us, we got a volunteer position just for you at Awana. Right? Like, I, I struggle to take naps throughout the week. But after Sundays, and we do this thing here, I go home and I crash hard, all right? It's a coma. After, it, I don't know what it is about preaching and teaching. It's like swimming the English channel, right? You, you get, Jesus gets tired on that day. So this is all happening in chapter 4. When evening had come, so the sun's setting, and I've never thought about this in this parable, but likely the storm that hits them, hits them at night. Right? So that's kind of like a little extra uh, like fear-inducing thing. It's like it's evening, the sun's going down, you can't even see the waves coming. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. First note, and I want you to, to soak this up because this is, this is heavy. 
the whole going to the other side is Jesus' idea. They are not going to get in the storm because of some big piece of stupid they're doing. The idea, and there, a lot of theologians say they're leaving a predominantly Jewish side to go to what will be the next teachings in a predominantly Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. Like, his entering his people into the storm, that's God's idea. That's God's idea. Let us go across to the other side. Um, if I was to put that Jesus quote here in a song, break on through to the other side. Doors? No? Right? Hello from the other side? Depending on how you answered or related to those two songs by either Adele or The Door says a lot <clears throat> about our church. All right, so go to the, the dark side or whatever. <clears throat> and leaving the crowd, he took him, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Now, this is a part I've never noticed about the story. And other boats were with him. Has anybody ever noticed this isn't one boat? This is a, Jesus got an entourage. What's he got, a pirate fleet? Rolling to the other side, because we know there's a bigger circle of disciples, right? Other boats with him. Now, let me make a side note um, about this detail. If this is merely a myth, or this is just a legend, or this is made up, it would not have information like this, or the fact that he's on a cushion, or the fact of where Jesus is sitting on the boat. The only way you would know there's a fleet of boats, and that you would know that he's on a cushion or that you'd know where exactly in the boat Jesus is, is if you were an eyewitness. This is the strength that the, the scriptures are not fables or myths made up. They are historical eyewitness accounts, and this contains details that you would not know unless you were there. All right, so that, that's kind of a little bonus stuff, but let's look at the kind of boat that they have. Ty, if you got that. Um, so he's getting into a boat. And he's going to the other side of the sea. So my picture is Tom. This lake, it's one of the lowest lakes on the surface of the earth. It's not as low as like the Dead Sea, which is all salt, so you have fresh water, but it's incredibly deep. Some say in parts it's over 150 foot deep. And because it's in the mountains, we get these desert winds that come from the east through the mountains, and we get these winds that come from the Mediterranean Sea in the west that hit the Sea of Galilee. And because of the mountains, it has this unique geographical formation that creates a wind tunnel 
that focuses those winds, and when it hits the water, it is known for these sudden and incredibly violent storms. Like the geography kind of is conducive for massive storms. Now, I know this is a problem for you to understand because one, th th this is really not a sea in the sense, it's actually a lake. And what you call a lake up at Vallecito is really a pond, right? So we're talking about a body of water that is much larger, right, than maybe some of the little ponds we come around here calling lakes in Colorado. Some of us have never lived near an ocean and seen 10 to 20 foot swells, right? And so we don't understand what it's like to be on a 12 foot, roughly about 12 foot by 4 foot boat on 10 foot swells. Anybody seen the movie Perfect Storm? Isn't when they're rolling up that wave just terrifying, right, going in? And so this storm hits them, a great windstorm arose. And so that is, that's like something that they would have been familiar with. And the waves were breaking into the boat. So we got a huge squall that is swamping, not, not squall, I mean, that's also dangerous and violent, but like a squall, like a, you got a baby hurricane hitting the lake and a windstorm arising, and they're terrified. They're scared to death of the natural force of what's going on. You're like, well, aren't, aren't the disciples fishermen? And you hear that all the time. At least probably six of them were. But do you realize not all the disciples are fishermen? Could you imagine Matthew in the boat? Right? I left a desk job. What are we doing out here? Right? So, like, and even the ones that knew water, they were terrified as well. So you know it's a serious thing whenever um, people are screaming in it. Um, and so he's coming in and it says the great winds from rose and the waves were breaking in the boat. When what should be outside the boat gets inside the boat, the boat goes down to like um, Davy Jones' locker. And so that the boat was already filling. And so you're in a storm on open water. Can you imagine this? The, the wind is howling. The waves are peaking and breaking. It's at night. Yeah, and, and then you look over at Jesus and he's asleep. Right? On a cushion. Because he's tired. And I've said this before, I think it's worth noting, Jesus took naps, right? Sometimes the most holy thing you can do is like trust God and take a nap, right? You're having a big fight with your spouse, sometimes just pray and take a nap. You'll wake up better, right? That was good pastoral counseling, and you guys not even here. Daniel slept in the lion's den. Peter slept in prison. Sometimes a nap is like appropriate. Um, I, I, I think about this, but for the disciples, they just, they're, they don't see it that way, right? I think of the movie, I don't know why I'm quoting so many movies, I guess it's Dennis Taylor's back in and his spirit aura is just, the movie Saving Private Ryan, anybody ever seen that movie? You sinners. Um, the, so Saving Private Ryan, there's the guy, the southern guy that's the sniper in there, and there's a scene where they're like hunkered down, they get like two hours of sleep, and they're all like, they can't sleep, except for that guy that's like the Christian guy in the movie. And he's like, as soon as he hits the pillow, he's out. And they're all debating why that guy can sleep. And he's like, it's the blessing of a clear conscience, right? And that dude just, just sleeps. Do you have one of these sleepers in your family that they can sleep anywhere? 
Like they're on an airplane, sleeping. Back of the car, sleeping. I remember back when I was a kid, kids actually slept in the back glass of a car. Y'all remember that? <laughs> this was pre-mass. Um, right? Dashboards were made out of metal. Who cares? Right? Just shred you as you get in the car wreck. Right? So people that could just, I mean, they could just drop like anywhere. And so Jesus is maybe the blessing of a clear conscience. He's done his work. He's sleeping. But here's the thing. Not only is going to the other side of the lake Jesus' idea, I'm going to argue he had every intention of sleeping during the storm. Some of you are not much different. If you know there's a rainstorm coming, don't some of you sleep the best when it's raining? Anybody? But even more than that, Jesus wants to be asleep while they're in a storm. Here's how I know that. The brother got a cushion. Right? He's got a cushion. Like if you showed up to church today with a neck pillow, we know what you came to do. It's called premeditated. Like you saw a nap coming. All right? So I'm doing the sermon early. Jesus has a premeditated nap. Their response to this setup is crying out to him, teacher. Now, I found this incredibly uh, fascinating in my study of this passage. In the account of the same thing in Luke and Matthew, here he's called teacher, and another he's called master, and another he's called Lord. Some people would say, see, different accounts of different things being yelled. I say, absolutely not. What each of those disciples is hearing is what the person next to them is screaming in their 13-year-old girly voice. One screaming, Master, the other screaming, Lord, the other screaming, Teacher, right? Moms, you ever get this when there's an emergency? Your kids will call you by your first name, right? And so what we have is different disciples. You can almost see this, the wind's super loud and people just screaming at Jesus. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Lord, do you not care? Master, do you not care? Like I'm suffering. I'm going through hardship. God, this whole thing, my, my finances are about to tank. Like we, we don't know where the next meal's coming from. God, I don't know what's going to happen with my health. God, do you not care that I'm going through a storm? Your inactivity looks like a lack of concern that I'm going through this. I think here's the temptation that sets us up to be disillusioned with Jesus. Is that we don't set Jesus up as the Lord of the universe and the Savior of our lives. We set Jesus up as a good luck charm. Like, Jesus, aren't... Here, listen to all my, all my charismatic friends. If, if prosperity and never going through hard things is really God's will for your life, what's he doing here? But if I set up in my heart, Jesus is a good luck charm, I should never, ever, ever have to go through a storm. And if I do go through it, you know what I mean? I should be, I should be, I, I shouldn't, number one, go through it. But if I do go through it, like, shouldn't he be making me lucky? Like, they don't understand, we gave our lives, Jesus, just like a chapter ago, to follow your call to be your disciples. Why are we running into trouble? And there's tons of people that, are, that claim to be Christians 
And they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They know Jesus as a good luck charm. And the first time that a storm or adversity hits them, they are bewildered. Because they can't reconcile why God would make them go through something like that. Here's instead what the scripture shows us. Going through the storm is his idea. And it even going bad is his idea. He wants us, church, soak your teeth in this. He wants us in certain storms because we can come to know him in a storm in ways we would never know him otherwise. We can come to know him in a storm in ways we would never know him otherwise. Calm waters do not teach us who the Son of God is like rough waters. Can anybody testify to that? I, I don't know very few things that have built up and deepened me in Christ like going through something that was bigger than me and I had to throw myself at the feet of Jesus and depend on him. And as I got through to the other side of that, our relationship was just different, right? But you give me too much comfort and I am prone to abandoning. Jesus never, ever, ever promises us there will not be storms. What he does promise us is his presence in the storm and his power over the storm. See, the fact of the matter is, every Christian wants to see a miracle, but nobody wants to be in problems and in positions that they need a miracle or else they will perish. Like, God, I want miracles in my life, but I don't want to be in a position where I need them, right? I just want to be entertained. Do you realize that every miracle that we've went into so far in the Gospel of Mark was premeditated by a problem? Like, you, you got miracles in response, God's power being response in response to problems. Now who's praying for miracles? That simultaneously come alongside problems. We may want to see miracles, but we don't want to be put in position where we need them lest we perish. Now, verse 39, look at this. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. There's no, no magic show, there's no waving of arms, there's no trial and error, there's no um, expecto patronum, there's no, like there's none of that junk. Like there's just Jesus speaking a word and the storm is still. Not just the wind, but the waves, like instantly dies down. In the Greek, this is silenced and kept quiet. Like it's like God's not even letting it going to come back in five minutes. He instantly silences it and keeps it quiet. I don't know how else to put this, but my man here just put a hurricane in timeout. Right? Like, he sat the hurricane down like it was a ruckus toddler. I struggled to put a ruckus toddler in timeout. And so, with a word, he silences it. Now, for us... We maybe don't like really feel the brunt of this like they felt the brunt. They understood that every molecule 
of the sea was created by him. There's somebody else, that sea and that wind knew that voice because it was the same voice in Genesis that brought it about. The sea exists by his power. It answers to him. Colossians 1, 16, 17. For by him all things were created. This sea, those mountains, that wind, all things created by him in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You were created for God. The sea was created for God. It answers to him. For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So with the same word that spoke the sea in existence, the same word, that put the hurricane in time out. I mean, that's, that's rowdy. I get verse 40 then. He said to them why he questions their fear. Why are you so afraid? I think in the fear-saturated culture which we live in, I would love to let Jesus question our fears. About what are you really scared of? Right? How many masks are we up to now? Six or seven is what you're supposed to wear? Like, and, and you're supposed to wear your seatbelt inside and outside the car. Just anywhere. Seatbelts everywhere. Some of you do need to wear helmets. I'm just <clears throat> putting that out. Like, I, I mean, like, let's be serious. Like, don't we have, aren't we in like one of the highest fear? And I can shoot it from both sides here. On one side, we're, we're afraid of disease and we're afraid of dying. And we're afraid of, I guess, global warming and all that because it's, on, one side, on the other side, we're afraid of China, right? Afraid, wh- what's going to happen there? Some of us are afraid of cancer coming in our bodies because it's hereditary. We go to the doctor and we're going to have heart disease. We're, we're, we're afraid. And we don't fear rightly. Jesus questions their fear. Now, in the Bible, fear has both a positive fear and a negative fear. So like in the scriptures, it'll talk about this crippling fear that's unhealthy, that doesn't lead you to God. And it says like perfect love will cast out fear. It's inappropriate. It's wrongly attached. It's it's like, it's it's unhealthy fear. Then the Bible will also use, and there's different words for this, like a righteous, beautiful, appropriate fear. Like the Bible will say like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? You can't be wise without a right awe reverence and respect for God so fear is not just like this negative thing it can be this worshipful thing like we sing if there's one hymn all of us know it's like amazing grace right you you've taught my heart to fear like God's teaching us how to fear and grace my fears relieve like there's this wrong fear and there's this right fear right and Jesus is coming and saying you are fearing nature, and, and it's because you don't rightly fear the one who created nature. You are fearing the created thing. Doesn't Jesus say this exact same thing? Don't fear those that kill the body and can do nothing to the soul. Fear both him who's got control over soul and body in heaven and hell. Right? And so Jesus questions their fear. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So there's this 
interaction between faith and fear going on. And they were filled with great fear, not at the storm. Now there's a, a modifier here, great fear. They feared the storm. They are now greatly afraid of Jesus. Great fear and said to one another, who, and I think this is the critical question of the text, who then is this? Who is he? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Right? And that is the great question. Who's Jesus? Is he the God-man who is sovereign over the storm? Hebrews would have known, Psalm 89, Psalm 107, only God alone can control the storms in the sea and the winds. So who is this that they answer to his voice? Peter goes fishing with Jesus one time, and Jesus says, throw your nets over here. He's like, we've been fishing all this time. He's like, no, I'll just do it. And so Peter pulls a boat, falls on his face, and he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful. Like, he gets close to the holiness and the power of God, and he fears, and he wants distance between him and Jesus. So if you're that powerful, and you're like that, like, I, I, can't, I can't get near to you. Like, um... There is something about Jesus that is other. So we, like, we, we have phobias, right? Like, if you're afraid of water, is that aquaphobia? If you're afraid of spiders, arachnophobia. And if you're not afraid of spiders, watch the movie Arachnophobia, then you will be, right? Claustrophobia, right? It puts you in small spaces. There's this word called, uh, that's kind of thrown around politically now, called xenophobia. Xeno means other, different, or foreign. And if you're afraid of someone, say from another place that's different from you, you're xenophobic, right? So what this kind of speaks to is every human, when they meet another person, tries to pigeonhole that person into a category that they understand. Like when you meet somebody new, you instantly, in your brain, start saying, this person is like somebody I've already met, and you start to pigeonhole categorize that person right xeno means somebody's different from you so if you don't understand them you kind of fear them xenophobia the thing about jesus is he is so otherly they got no they got no category for jesus they you you've not met somebody like him he is in a class and category all his own and so they are in great fear the very word holy means different or other and they stand before the holiness of god and they they shrink he is other now this isn't super hard for us to understand right like if you went to the gym to go play basketball all right so you're going in there some of your friends you're going to play basketball and some of you, it would look terrible no matter what happens, okay? But you're shooting some shots, you're dribbling the ball, you're doing some basketball-type activities, all right? In walks his heirness, Jordan, right? The Birdmeister, Larry Bird. Kobe Bryant, RIP, okay? Or Westbrook, that's, I'm throwing that one in, okay? LeBron's on Twitter, he can't come, Okay? And you walk in, and you're, you, you go to play basketball, and all of a sudden, you are once shooting the ball confidently. They walk in, all of a sudden, every movement you're making in that gym becomes self-conscious. You're around greatness. And, and here's the thing. 
you would simultaneously desire to be near them and be terrified to talk to them. Wouldn't you? We say this about actors or like stuff that you get starstruck around them. Like you don't know whether to go over and talk to them. Of course, some of you are socially awkward. It wouldn't bother you at all. But you know, like normal people. Like, are you, do I press in or do I back up? Like, I'm starstruck by the thing. And what's so funny about that is actors do nothing but read other people's good ideas. And you get starstruck about somebody repeating it, right? Now, I get it. They got talent. Anthony Hopkins, let's go. But, but here's the thing. You can get starstruck by an actor who's reading somebody else's lines. What do you do when you get next to the person that spoke the universe into existence? What do you do? Like, I like that there's little light pollution here in Colorado, like you can see tons of stars. Sometimes after like a really tough day of ministry and you wonder, okay, what am I doing? Is this worth it? All this stuff. If you just go out at night and look up at the stars, sometimes it just helps you kind of orient how small you are and how grand God is. I just love the night sky and seeing like how dark it is. And you think you can see a million stars, but I heard, I heard this the other day and I thought it was really fascinating that at any given time, the most stars you can see is 9,096 stars with the naked eye. The most you can see is a little over 9,000 stars. And it looks like a million, doesn't it? And those 9,096 are out of an estimated by astronomers around 300 billion, sorry, trillion stars. Out of estimated 300,000 billion trillion stars. That's how many there are. 300,000 billion trillion stars. That's a three with 24 zeros behind it for you mathematicians. That's how many stars there are. Any given night, you're seeing 9,000 of them. A number that staggers the imagination. Each of those 300,000 billion trillion stars puts out a trillion megaton bombs worth of energy every second. He spoke all of that with his word with his logos, with his logic. He spoke all that with his word. Here's what's even more fascinating. It says in the scriptures that he knows each of those 300,000 billion trillion stars. He knows them by name. Isn't that awesome? I forget my kids' names. I forgot my, one of my kids' names yesterday. And there are stars that humans have never even seen that exist for his glory. And he knows each of them by name. You've been starstruck behind some athlete or some actor. What are you going to do when you come before the one who spoke the stars? Who then is this that even the wind and the seas? Who is he? Who is it that even they obey him? You can't pigeonhole him. He's in a class. He's in a category. All his own. Here's one last reality and then we're going to be done. And I want to say this to you as lovingly as any doctor would tell you anything else. As a pastor, I love you. Every single one of you is going to die. Every single one of you is going to die. None of you are making it out alive. You're all going down. Every single one of us is going to die. We're going to face the sting of death. But here's the beauty of Jesus. 
You don't have to fear death when you know the one who is more fearsome than death and that conquered death. See, they're right to fear nature. They just don't fear nature more than you fear the one who created it. When you know the one who is more fearsome than the storm, the storm dwindles and the God looks majestic. Do you know the one that is more fearsome than any fear you're ever going to face, including what we might say is the greatest fear that man has, and that is of death? Do you know him? Do you know the one who, like Jonah, was on a boat, should have been headed to Gentiles, a storm rages, who plunged his life into the raging chaos and wrath of God in the sea so that the calms, storms were calm? Jesus, the Son of God, went to the cross to calm God's wrath against you. He made perfectly still and calm the relationship between you and Him through the cross and through the resurrection. Everyone's going to die, but through Christ we can live again. You're all going to die. But if you can know Jesus and you can know His plan for your life, if you can experience this one, you'll come to know that you're going to die right on time and you can take great risk for, for Him because you will spend eternity in fear and worship of the one who can calm the storms. Can I pray for you? I'm going to have the band go ahead and come up. First thing I want you to reflect on right now, if you're sitting here with us, is maybe you haven't thought of it in a while, but what storms has God brought you through already? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just you and the Lord. Christian, if you're in here, I want you to thank Him for the storms His presence was in, His power was over. We're going to respond to worship, but maybe right now you would just worship God in your heart for where He's already brought you. I know some of us in here, whether it's with health or finances, our jobs, our situations, our marriages, our kids, some of us right now are in a storm. And we don't know if God cares. And we don't know if God's powerful. So maybe right now you just find your refuge in the Word of God that says God not only cares, but He's sovereign and powerful over all of it. If He's gotten you through storms in the past, He'll get you through again today, whatever you're facing. Maybe if you're here and you're not a believer and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as the captain of your soul, and you come... And you see just the raging curse of God and the wrath of God against you. And you see there's just turmoil in your relationship to God. I would invite you to call upon Jesus like, this, like these disciples did. Call him master, call him Lord, call him teacher. And let him still and make quiet the wrath and judgment you deserve through the cross that he bore.
Dear Heavenly Father, we enter your courts with thanksgiving and your presence with praise. Because you are the only one who spoke the material universe into creation. And you are still the one who governs it and is sovereign over it and works powerfully through it. God, every storm you've brought us into, you've brought us into for a purpose. And we confess that it's not bigger than you. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have come through mighty hurricanes of the soul. That they would be reminded here today and that they would worship afresh for reasons that you've already done in their story. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are in the storm right now. And it looks bigger than them. It looks scary. It's beyond their resources. Holy Spirit, would you come implant faith. Bring your presence. Do your work. Don't let us go through the storm uneducated, unchanged. We thank you for it. God, I pray for our friends here who don't know you. God, you parted the raging sea so that your chosen people could walk in the exodus through it. That same sea was a judgment to the Egyptians. God, would you make a way for people here that don't know you to come to you, call upon your name and be saved. Do all this work that we might rightly fear you and worship you. I pray that in the strong name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Would you stand and respond in worship?